Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma for almost 40 years. During his ministry there, he endured a significant amount of trouble, including 21 months in a prison where each evening he would be suspended by his feet, leaving only his shoulder and heads on the floor while he slept. Mosquitoes nipped at open sores on his feet. He buried three children, all of the ones that his first wife, Anne, had bore to him. Upon being released from prison, he, he found her and their one living daughter at the time. The living daughter was being nursed by a woman he didn't recognize next to a fire. He found his wife sick and in bed. Just a few months after he had been released from prison, Anne succumbed to the sickness and died. And just six months after that, the child died as well. He eventually remarried to a woman named Sarah Boardman, who bore him eight children only five of whom survived childhood. She too, after they were married 11 years, became sick, and as they voyaged home to America with hopes of finding a cure, she died just as they rounded the tip of Africa. There's much, much more to Judson's incredible life, and I encourage you to Google him later. His story is magnificent, but it is filled with sorrow. It was a man who suffered much so that people who didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ might come to know him. And I bring parts of his story to our attention this morning because Judson is a shining example of someone who knows what it is to feel as if they have one friend in the world. Darkness. Perhaps at the lowest point in his life, a couple years after Anne had passed away, he isolated himself in the jungle and built a hut. And at some point, next to the hut, dug his own grave. And for days, sat next to it, staring at it, contemplating his own death and decomposition. He wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Have you ever experienced a long night such as this? Have you ever felt yourself so weighed down with sorrows that you shared Judson's sentiment? God is, to me, the great unknown. I believe in him but I find him 
not. If so, then Psalm chapter 88 is for you. And it is to Psalm chapter 88 that we turn our attention this morning. This psalm is relentlessly dark. And yet, hidden within it, there is a glimmer of hope. And thus this psalm serves as encouragement for us all. My hope is that this morning, as we work through Psalm chapter 88, that the Lord would give to us steel in our spines, a stalwart confidence in His sovereignty and in His work, that He would light within us a fire so hot as it would never go out. An affection for Him that would never cool down. And the main idea this morning, important things that I think you should walk away with, is this. God hears the prayers of His people, exercises sovereignty over their suffering, and brings light out of darkness. And I want to encourage you that when the time comes... You ought to suffer well, remembering the God of your salvation. Because the time will come when you are suffering and you feel without hope. We'll examine the, the psalm by considering the psalmist's feelings. Think about how he feels, think about how he prays. We'll talk about what he knows. And with that, we will pray and begin our time together. Father, we ask for your help this morning. We pray that you would focus our attention on you and on your word. Pray that you would have us come believing that you will give us bread that will nourish our souls rather than stones that might make us sick. You are the good gift giver. The greatest of gifts that you have given to us is our Lord Jesus Christ. And your word is an excellent gift as well. For in it you speak to us. You reveal yourself to us. It's through your word that we are made to come to life and to know Christ. Pray that your word would do its work in us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 88. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director according to Mahalath Leninoth a maskil of Heman the Ezrite. Verse 1. Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. My prayer, may it reach your presence. Listen to my cry 
for I have had enough troubles, and my life is near Sheol. I'm counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I I am like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Selah. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering in near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. My only friend is darkness. This is the prayer of a man at the end of his rope. A person hanging by a thread who cannot hear the comforts of anyone because it is all drowned out by the ringing of pain in his ears. It is as if an explosion has gone off. And now all that exists is pain He is desperate. He tells us in verse 3, I've had enough troubles. Literally, my soul is satisfied with trouble. I'm, I'm full of these sorrows, he says. I can't take any more of what life is pouring out on me. This is more than I can handle. God where are you? Gives us a chilling illustration. Verses 4 and 5. He says, I'm, I'm like an unknown soldier who is not yet dead, but laying in a mass grave among the slain. Forgotten and forsaken.
Who is this man so shrouded in darkness? If we look right up here at the superscript, the the top right above verse 1, not what your editors put in there, but the actual part of the Bible, we, we read that this comes from the hand of Heman the Ezrite. And Heman the Ezrite is a figure that we know in Scripture. He's a songwriter. He's one of the sons of Kor. He would have led worship for the people of God. And he's one of the wisest people who have ever lived. In describing to us Solomon's wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31, the author writes this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east, and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Kalkul and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Heman is, is the standard of wisdom, right? Like, God wasn't, says, you want to know how wise I've made Solomon? I've made him even wiser than Heman. The author of this psalm is a mature, strong believer. And that does not save him from suffering. Christians suffer. Christians endure hardship. Christians will have unspeakable pains in their lives. As does Heman here. And the temptation in those moments is to follow kind of one of those cultural maxims, right? Brought to us from Star Wars. Trust your feelings. If you feel as if God is completely absent, if you feel that He doesn't hear you, well, then it must be true. No, 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 friends. Do not trust your feelings. They are real and they matter. But our feelings often lie to us by omission. They often fail to tell the whole story. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Don't just trust your feelings. Rather, trust what God's Word says. And God has said, My precious child, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus Christ has said, Never will I leave you. And when Jesus says never, what he means is never. tempting to believe when we feel as Heman does here that we are somehow beyond God's reach. That is foolish thinking, friends. Because we can never pry ourselves out of His loving hands. He holds us. 
and His grip is true. When you are tempted to think, I am alone. I am not heard. Remember, God hears. And God knows. He heard Haman's plea. The existence of this psalm in this Psalter in God's Word is evidence of that. I mean, what do you think he would say today if, if he were with us and, and we said, look, look at this. This psalm is in the Bible. You, you'd almost hear him. It wasn't for nothing. I couldn't see the time, but, but God, you were at work in my pain, in my sorrow. You, you purposed my pain to serve your people for generations. Oh, you are good. Indeed, this psalm serves the church. It is a reminder of the truth embedded in Psalm 56.8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God keeps track of your tears. One of the mind-bending things about God is that because He is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, all the time, He is able to give you all of His attention. Did you ever think about that? God can give everybody and everything all of his attention all at once. He is no stranger to your suffering. He, he knows about it. And he's planned it. Second thing I want to point out initially here is one of the things that makes this suffering of Heman so unbearable is that family and friends have both left him, abandoned him. And I, I got to thinking and I went, you know, friendship is so important to the Christian life. Our friends, our, our church, one of, the, one of the ways God has ordered it is to be a greenhouse for our growth. A lifeline. I mean, one of the ways that God reaches out to each one of us is through other members in His body. We do to ourselves such a disservice when we cut ourselves off from other Christians and from the body of Christ. Friends are gold. Do not forget that when you are in the crucible. Additionally, I got, got to thinking, you know, God has purposed our sufferings to be shared. We have to share our suffering just as Heman's suffering is shared with us here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In God's mysterious providence, He has designed your suffering to serve others. Your suffering isn't just about you. It's to be shared so that others might help you bear that burden and so that you might encourage others. Some promises there in, in 2 Corinthians. It says, God will comfort those who are in affliction. And he does this so that we can comfort others. Do not hold your friendships loosely. Do not take your membership in this body lightly or casually. Take advantage of it. Build connections and relationships with others. Share your lives. Share your suffering. And you'll experience the comfort of God. Friends are gold. Don't forget their value when you are in the crucible. One of my favorite moments in the Harry Potter series comes when a really likable character dies. I'm not going to share his name, so if you haven't read it, I won't ruin it for you. We'll call him Jim. And so, so Jim is dying, and Harry says to him, Hold on! Hold on! We can fix you! We can fix it! And his friend, in his arms, sighs a sigh of relief. And he says, such a beautiful place to be with friends. Jim is happy to be with his friend. Friends make even the worst suffering more bearable. And Christ has given them to us for that purpose. Elliot used to sing a song when he was little. Make new friends, keep the old. One is silver, the other gold. Right? You see, the point of the song is a really good lesson. Friends are our gold, and don't forget them when you are in the crucible of life. If you are a member of this church, maybe you feel like somebody isn't your, your friend, but if you are suffering, you can call in their commitment to you. Say, you are a member of that church. I am suffering. I need a friend. You're it. Share your sufferings. The psalmist feels out of control. He feels as if God is not answering him. And yet God is present. God hears. When the time comes for you to suffer, remember the God of your salvation. Remember that God hears. God knows. 
Let's think about how the psalmist prays. Look at how he prays. Verse 1, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. Verse 9, my eyes are worn out from crying, Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13, but I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. This is not a man who has prayed a one and done sort of prayer. This is a man who has been calling out day and night, hands spread to God over and over and over again, praying, 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 and hearing in return nothing. Time and time and time again, he hears Silence in response to his prayers, and yet he prays. He keeps coming like he's too stupid to learn his lesson. He doesn't give up. How tempting it is when we are suffering to give in to despair, to give up to surrender to unbelief. That is not the posture of the psalmist. It reminds me of of World War II when it looked for all the world that England was lost. And yet, behind the words of Churchill, the nation resolved to never give up. Churchill famously said, we shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Friend, this is the posture of the Christian. We shall never surrender to unbelief. We shall never surrender to faithlessness. No, no, no. We will resolve to keep fighting. Fighting in our bedrooms. Fighting at our jobs. Fighting in the midst of all the troubles that swirl around us. We will fight and we will never surrender. And we will fight by praying. Faith prays. So when the time comes, and it will come, suffer well and remember the God of your salvation. Pray. Pray. Psalmist prays with a relentless tenacity. And he also prays with questions. Look at at verses 10 through 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness? Will your righteousness in the land of oblivion? Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? One of the things we learn from this is it's okay to have unanswered questions. I think sometimes Christians try to do this really silly thing where we answer the reason for our suffering and for other people's sufferings, right? Somebody loses a loved one, and so we, we, we get out our list and we say, well, here, here's what God's doing. Let me try to figure it out for you and do the calculus. That's silly. Yes, we, we know that God is 
He's behind it ultimately, and He's purposed it for our good and His glory, but it's foolish of us to pretend that we have all the answers. When we act as if we have all the answers or if we need to have all the answers, we're kind of like uh, those characters in, in The Emperor's New Clothes. You ever heard that children's story, The Emperor's New Clothes? Well, a guy comes to the emperor, he, he's a tailor, tradesman, and he sells him a suit, the finest suit in the whole world. But here's the rub. You can only see the suit if you are not a fool. And so, the suit is invisible to fools. The emperor, not wanting to be thought a fool, well, of course, he pretends that he can see the suit. He purchases it at a large sum of money and then has a parade to show off the whole kingdom, show him his new suit, his new clothes. And so, as he is quite literally parading through town in his underwear, all the people pretend to see his clothing. Look how great and how majestic the emperor's new clothes are. Until finally one boy exposes the whole lie and says, he's, he's not wearing anything. What are you guys talking about? He's in his underwear. Pretending we have all the answers is akin to denying the naked truth about the emperor. We don't have all the answers to suffering. And we ought not pretend that we do. We might not have all the answers about every circumstance that comes to us in life, but we do know the character of God. God's favorite way to answer the question, why in Scripture, is to remind people who He is. He says, the why doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to you. Your responsibility is to trust who I am. God can be trusted. We don't have all the answers. We don't have to. We, we can feel free to take our questions and our concerns and our pains and our sorrows to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Friend, when the time comes to suffer, and it will come, suffer well. Remember the God of your salvation and take all of your angst and your questions to Him. The second thing we see in these questions, and it's astounding, is they are concerned with God's glory. The focus of these questions is not on Heman, but on God. We could telescope all of His questions together into one and just simply ask, how will I enjoy you and glorify you, God, if I'm dead and your face is hidden from me? And that's what he wants to know. God, how, how can I glorify you if I die? 
oh, that the posture of our hearts would be like Haman's. That our focus, even in the middle of our suffering, wouldn't be on our immediate healing or on ourselves, but on God and His glory and our enjoyment of Him. That's quite different than what we are naturally predisposed to. When you suffer, when time comes, suffer well and remember the God of your salvation. Focus on God's glory. That's how the psalmist feels. We've talked about how he prays and and how he prays with persistence and with questions but with full confidence in God teaches us about what he knows. And what he knows is that God is in complete control of his suffering. Look at who he credits with his sorrows. Verse 6. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. Verse 14, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 16, your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. Heman is certain that God is behind his suffering. He's certain that God is sovereign over it. He's saying, Lord, you're doing this. He's got one foot in the grave and he feels like he's being pushed in and God is the one doing the pushing. There is no shadow of a doubt of the fact that God is in control. Sometimes we hear things like, God had nothing to do with that tragedy. This isn't the way God wanted it. God's God's not in charge of evil. He he didn't see that that terrible thing coming. People trying to to get God off the hook. As if God is up in heaven with his mouth agape. Coronavirus? Whew. 2020? Didn't see that coming, guys. Got to tell you. Just not quite sure how to react. Wish I could have done something. This is not how God operates. He is not impotent and powerless. He is sovereign. There are no maverick molecules in the universe. God is in control. And Heman knows this. He doesn't cope with his troubles by divorcing his problems from God's ruling of the universe. Yes, Satan and demons and disease and sin are very, very real. But the devil is still God's devil. Nothing happens in this world or to you apart 
from the will of God. And sometimes, God ordains that believers endure chronic pain and chooses never to relieve them of the thorn in their flesh. The Apostle Paul serves as the example for this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he writes in verse 7, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God was at work in Paul's suffering. And he's at work in your suffering. In your weakness, you become dependent on Christ and therefore you become strong. In our trials, God is at work producing Christ-likeness. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In our sorrows, God is at work producing glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is producing for us, this suffering is producing for us, this pain is producing for us. That loss of a loved one is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God's sovereignty is a control belief for the Christian who is navigating suffering. God's sovereignty is a control belief for the Christian who is navigating suffering. Jesus is king over the light and the darkness. Jesus is king. He is sovereign over our suffering. Adoniram Judson knew this. He would emerge from the valley of the shadow of death in the strength of our good shepherd. The man who had sat next to a grave that he dug for himself, staring into it. The man who asked or said, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Went on to write this. There is a love that never fails. If I had felt If I had not felt certain 
that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. It is God's sovereignty and God's goodness that enables us, by faith in Christ, to endure all the sufferings this world has to throw at us. When the time comes to suffer, suffer well and remember the God of your salvation. Trust God's sovereignty. This psalm continues to encourage us though. Because the suffering of of this psalm, it points us to the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again with me at some of the verses. Three through five. My soul is satisfied with trouble. My life is near Sheol. It's the realm of the dead. I'm counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave, whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. Now hear Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 27. My soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. And notice what Jesus' concern is, just as Heman's was. Father, glorify your name. Look at verse 6 through 8. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and I cannot go out. Verse 15, from my youth I have been suffering in near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. My only friend is darkness. Now listen to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus told his disciples Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And verse 14, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? And then Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, having his prayers answered with silence, went to the cross friendless, where in the darkness of God's judgment, he absorbed the wrath of God towards the sins of his people. Your sins and mine. 
Jesus died for the sins of all who will repent of their sin and submit to His Lordship. He will save from eternity the hell they deserve. Anyone who believes in Him. Jesus suffered beyond what we have outlined for us in Psalm chapter 88. So that when our suffering is done, we can look forward to glory. Non-Christian, there is a suffering far worse than any of the suffering of Psalm 88. There is a pain of which the pains in this world are but a pale shadow. Those who die clutching the pearls of their sin instead of clinging to the cross of Christ will feel the full weight of God's justice upon their shoulders in hell forever. God is just. All sin has been or will be paid for. Put your faith in Jesus. Your sins are paid for on the cross. You reject Him. And you will pay. God is righteous. This this psalm, friend, will either point you to Christ as your Savior, or it will preview for you your eternity. Implore you, non-Christian, to repent of your sin, to be baptized, follow Jesus. The suffering of the psalm points us to Jesus, and the questions of this psalm are answered in Jesus. The questions of, psalm, of, of verse 10. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave? Will your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? Yes! For three days it seemed as if this were not true. For three days there was mourning, there were tears, there was lament. For three days it seemed as if God's beloved Son had been taken completely by the darkness. But then, then, the stone was rolled away Burial clothes were folded up. And angels came to say, He is not here. He is risen. God does work wonders for the dead. When we believe in Jesus, we come to life from the dead. 
When we die and leave these bodies behind, we go to be present with Christ. And when Christ returns, we will be given new bodies, raised from the dead. Yes, God works wonders. When the time comes, and it will come, suffer well and remember the God of your salvation. The God who raises the dead. That's where the hope is hidden in this psalm. Right there in verse 1. Lord God of my salvation. It is because Heman knows who God is that he can endure this terrible suffering. And so, Christian, remember the God of your salvation. Fight the fight of faith. Never surrender. Keep praying. And in your suffering, remember that your pain has an expiration date. Yes, suffering now, but then, glory. Indeed, glory is coming. Aslan is on the move. The king is returning. And there is nothing wrong with you that a good resurrection won't fix. Let's pray. God, you are good. We ask that you would help us to remember in the dark what you tell us in the light. We thank you that you bring light out of darkness, life out of death, songs of joy out of dirges. Thank you that you bring laughter out of sorrow. You are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who saves sinners like us. You are the God who is sovereign over suffering. You are the God who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. You alone are God. And it is through Christ we can call you our Father. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.